0: Every week, or most of the time, I say that just about every week. And, and it's a good thing for the new people or the visitors because sometimes, you know, you, you can go to church and, and there's a, a message and people think, man, he just picked that just because I was there. I, I mean, he, he's talking to me. He's, you know, this is just, uh, you know, I didn't like that. Uh, but this is the beauty of going through the Word of God chapter by chapter. Uh, you just come across things, and then you can say, yeah, he's talking to me, but it's the he is Jesus. It's not anyone else other than the Lord. And so we come to one of those sections of Scriptures, chapter 17, it talks about offenses between Christians. And uh, it will probably bring to mind some things that you've been offended by or some ways that you've offended others. And so we just want to see what the Lord has to say about that. We call our study this morning, The Best Defense is No Offense, and uh, no one emailed me any other titles for it, uh, so that's, that's the title. Remember I laid down that challenge, was it last week or a few weeks ago, I gave a title and you laughed at it, it must have been the Abominable Showman from last week, and you laughed and I said, hey, send me some titles, not a one. So let's read this, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to us. And then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, well, you'll forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. Afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we want only your insight into the Word of God, only the things that you would have us to know and to understand from this passage of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be here to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive these things. We pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. I must have been about eight or nine years old that particular Halloween. I gathered a pillowcase full of candy, trick or treating. Remember those days? when it was safe to trick-or-treat. I was at the local haunted house when an older boy, perhaps junior high age, came up to me, harassed me, took away my pillowcase. He began to walk off. (laughs) What he didn't know, but was about to find out, was that I lived right across the street. I ran home crying. I told my dad... And my two older brothers, what had just happened. My brother Tony was out of high school by then. Richard was the outstanding middle linebacker on the varsity football team. I remember three things only. I pointed out the boy who had stolen my candy through my tear-filled eyes. My brothers went after him, and I got my candy back. What exactly happened to him has always been shrouded in mystery for my protection, although I know it wasn't pleasant. Parents and siblings will go to great lengths to protect their children and younger brothers and sisters. Woe to the person or people who try to harm your children. Jesus taps into this universal feeling, but he applies it to your spiritual family, to your brothers and sisters in the church. He describes you as a servant among other servants in God's household of faith. Sometimes while serving together, we might offend a fellow servant or be offended by a fellow servant. It's inevitable, it's understandable, but it's not insignificant or inconsequential. It's important we do something about offenses. We'll organize our thoughts around these two points. Number one, Jesus exhorts you to be inoffensive And number two, Jesus expects you to be indefensive. First of all, in verses 1 through 4, Jesus exhorts you to be inoffensive. By inoffensive, I mean you should do all you can to avoid offending others, and I mean you should not be so easily offended by others. Easier said than done. Jesus recognized that offenses were going to be a part of living until His return. He gave you some guidelines for avoiding offending others and for averting being offended by others. First of all, avoid offending others. Verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, "It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come." It's impossible that no offenses should come because we remain in a fallen world and struggle against our sinful flesh. It's not an excuse. But it is reality. It might be a good idea to pause and try to determine what Jesus meant by the use of the word offense. It's a Greek word we would pronounce as scandalon. Our word scandal is derived from it. In verse 3, Jesus will discuss what you should do when you are offended. There, he uses the word sin in place of the word scandalon. And so, we're talking about offending someone or being offended by someone as a result of something that is sin or sinful. Scandalon also has other shades of meaning. It can mean to set a snare or to set up a stumbling block. It's describing a person walking along who suddenly gets tripped up, captured, so that they cannot make any further progress in their walk. The general idea is that you offend your fellow servant when you do or say something sinful that hinders their walk with the Lord. Instead of making progress in their walk with Jesus, they become ensnared or they stumble and fall because of your scandalous words or ways. Now I want to suggest to you from the beginning that Jesus had in mind serious offenses. That's not to say we should ignore or overlook anything. But it is to say that Christians often have their feelings hurt. Having your feelings hurt doesn't mean someone sinned against you. And a lot of times we elevate what a person says or does into a category of sin. We assign to them motives. We assume that they've sinned against us just because we feel offended. Hey, listen, we're going to disagree on many things. We can disagree agreeably. We all have different backgrounds, different personalities, never an excuse for sin, but oftentimes we're just not going to get along perfectly. We should deal with that. We should be in good fellowship with one another. But everything isn't the end of the world. We're talking about serious offenses, things that we can say, hey, this was sin, or we might ask, hey, when you said this, when you did this, was it the result of sin in your life? What was your real motive? As I said, you may still want to discuss it with the other person, but it's not necessarily a sin. And this will help, I think, a great deal. I'm not trying to sweep anything under the rug. This will help you. Sometimes we just need to let go of things. Sometimes the problem is with us. We've been offended, but there was really no offense, nothing to offend us. We'll get to that. Now, with all that in mind, you want to avoid offending others. The way to do it is by paying attention to your own walk with the Lord. First... Don't get involved in things that are scandalous. In other words, deal with the sin in your life. Of course you and I are going to sin. In the uh, epistle to 1 John, John says, If we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. We sin. As Christians, we're never sinless, but we hope to sin less and less. And so, if I want to not offend somebody, I need to attend to my own life and look at my life and, and deal with sin in my life or those things that are, are moving me in the direction of sin before they become scandalous and get into an area where others might be stumbled. Second, don't ensnare others. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have liberty in some area to engage in a certain behavior that others might consider questionable it's not sin in and of itself it's not even sin for you but it could be sin to the other person if you openly flaunt it or even encourage it you set a trap for your brothers and sisters and they can become ensnared now if you've been here for any length of time you know that I hate alcohol I I just I was such a bad drunk when I was younger uh, and I just i I have yet to think of anything good that comes from drinking uh, they 're finding out now that drinking a glass of wine really doesn't help you uh by the way so those I mean for years it was like, well, you drink a glass of wine every day and you're healthier <laughs> My dad used to come down the hall every morning and take a shot of whiskey in the morning. first thing he'd be you know. Of course, I feel like that now. You're kind of just plodding down the hall, pour himself a shot of whiskey and t- I say, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, I got to get my heart started. <laughs> so, you know, I've been around alcohol. I've been a drunk. I, I, and I just, you know, it's just one of those things I hate. Uh, it, it's just a personal thing with me. Now, I always am balanced. And I tell you that I can't prove to you from the Bible that you should not drink. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. It does say you can't ever be drunk. But you can drink. But let's say you have the liberty to drink and you uh, invite somebody over from the church. You met somebody this morning at church. Hey, I turned around and I met this couple from church and now we're going to have them over for dinner and it's a normal thing for you to serve wine or beer or whatever it is. You might want to think twice about that. Do you know anything about that person? Do you know if they're struggling with alcohol? Do you know if they're a drunk I can give you testimony after testimony of young Christians who got involved in situations just like that and looked up to people and thought, well, if it's okay for you to drink, it's okay for me to drink. It's not okay for everybody to drink. It can be okay for you, but it might not be okay for you, the other person. Well, this is America. I can do whatever I want. Hey, this is the Bible. You better do what Jesus tells you to do. Paul the Apostle talking about this area of liberty say hey have all the liberty you want just have it to yourself before God rather than stumble one of God's precious little children we could expand this to all the other areas of liberty that Christians want to get involved with entertainment smoking all these different things that happen out in the world just be careful with them third Don't stumble others by setting up obstacles in their walk. This can happen when we set unbiblical standards of behavior and claim to have achieved them. People come to you for advice or counsel. You tell them to do something that you can't even do. They believe you. They think, well, you're a spiritual giant. So, you know, as long as if I do it, then then they find that they fall short. And this is one of the things Jesus was talking about. He was rebuking the pharisees talking to his disciples about things the pharisees did people were coming to jesus pressing into the kingdom of god and the pharisees were deriding jesus and saying oh he's not a teacher he doesn't know what he's talking about he has no credentials he hasn't achieved the righteousness that we have and it was stumbling the common people who were trying to come to know the lord and so we don't want to set up unreasonable standards for people so Deal with sin in your life. Don't ensnare others. Don't stumble them. Offending another believer is a deadly serious thing. Verse 2. It would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. I tried to get a millstone delivered this week, but I couldn't, couldn't work it out. I'm going to have one out there with a harness on it to see it. No, I'm just kidding. But... At the, maybe the harvest thing that we do, instead of a dunk tank, we could have a millstone tank. Throw and I could. Anyway. A millstone, as you know, is a huge, heavy, round, flat grinding stone that was moved by an ox or donkey or a team of ox or donkeys. It would be better for you to die this horrible drowning death than to offend a fellow believer. In verse 1, Jesus said, Woe to him who offends. He says, Woe to you, it would be better if you died this death. He doesn't tell you what the woe is. This isn't the woe. The woe is something worse than this. Better not to know. He never really does tell you because he's just warning you. Now, why all this tough mafia talk? Really, I mean, you know, we're going to weigh the person down with a stone and throw them into the ocean. That's my culture all the way. I thought I invented this, but here's Jesus talking about it. Now, I think it is to emphasize, listen, just how much God the Father cares for His children. The Lord doesn't want to put a millstone around anybody's neck and throw them in the ocean. That's not the business that He's about. But He's emphasizing a father's care for His children. Like any dad or mom, for that matter, but more so, our Heavenly Father wants to protect His children. Let me ask you, if someone hurts your children... What do you want to do to that person? Now, just whisper to me that you want to kill them. I I know it's not Christ-like, but if somebody seriously, on purpose, hurts your children, abducts them, kidnaps them, whatever it might be, you want to kill them. And that's what Jesus... Jesus is not saying God wants to kill people. He's saying God has that level of feeling for His children, for every one of them. And so you had better not be the one that offends them. As their brothers and sisters, we should want to protect them as well. We should want to mutually care for our siblings in the church. Just like God, as our Father, has our best interests in mind, so should we look upon one another's best spiritual interests. And that often means that we have to sacrifice something in our lives, like a liberty, in order to see that they're not stumbled. Now, you're exhorted to avoid offending others. Next, you are exhorted to avert being offended by others. Verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, this verse tells us several important things. I just have a short list, but there's many more. First of all, Jesus explains plainly that an offense is equivalent to sin. It's not a sin just because you feel offended sin is a serious selfish willful act of either omission or commission you committed a sin against another person second you have not just the right here but it says the responsibility to rebuke your brother or sister who has sinned against you now this i think is a really key insight It's something I don't think I ever really saw before. Even if you are the offended party, you should be more concerned with the offender than you are with yourself. See, normally we think, well, if someone offends me, they sin against me, I have the right to go to them and rebuke them. Jesus says, really what you have is the responsibility because even though you've been offended, they're in sin. And I just told you that it would be better for them if they were cast into the ocean with a millstone about their neck. They're in real danger. It's a good thing you're the one they offended because you can go to them and deal with this in a loving, biblical, forgiving way so that they don't have to face the woe that I'm pronouncing. You understand that? You know, Jesus, just when you think you have this stuff figured out, he turns it around and it comes back to you. Thinking less highly of yourself and more highly of others than you do of yourself. What a person has done to you is in one sense not as serious as their need for restoration. And then third, you're to go to the person directly, one-on-one, with a heart to resolve the matter quietly and to restore fellowship. And fourth, you should always cultivate a heart attitude that is ready to forgive others. Hey, Jesus told us that offenses are going to come, right? Is it a surprise then when you get offended? It shouldn't be. It is in the body of Christ. Granted, you don't expect Christians to sin against you. But in one sense, you should be cultivating an attitude that is ready to forgive others. Now, if you apply just these things, you're going to put offenses into a new perspective. You'll deal with them biblically by going directly to the person to seek their repentance and restoration to fellowship. Or you're going to let them go because you realize that there was no sin involved. Now, we're always looking for a loophole, and and there seems like there is one in here. Jesus said, if he repents, forgive him. Notice the emphasis on if he repents. And so I always look at people and say, well, you haven't repented. I don't believe that you have repented. You're not sincere enough. I get this a lot. I don't know why people think I am insincere. (laughs) I'm the most sincere person I know. Well, that's not true. Maybe that's why people think I'm insincere. But sometimes, you know, I I mean, I've I've, I've had to apologize to people and ask people for forgiveness, and they never believe me. No one ever believes anything I say. Some of you didn't believe that we weren't going to set our clocks ahead. Remember? I told you, don't set your clocks ahead. We are not springing ahead. We're going to get... You are I'm going to lose an hour's sleep. Just come at the regular time. Oh, that Gene, what a joker. People call me during the week. You didn't believe it. you didn't mean that. Were, families were having arguments over it. My wife thinks you're serious, but I know you're not. And so, I mean, I'm a guy that's, I'm sorry, but uh, it's just too funny. And so I, sometimes I come across, and people never believe me when I apologize. They never believe me. I, you're not repentant, I can tell. You're smiling. I'm pinching myself, trying to cry. I mean, I do whatever I can, but... And so that's the thing. I don't believe he's repented. On a more serious note, I remember several... It's, it's, I don't know, I, I always think it's last week. It was probably years ago. I was uh, invited to sit in on... A counseling session that this couple was having at another church and uh, they were separated and it had to do with the husband and his need for repentance and they were waiting for him to repent now he kept telling them he repented but and finally I asked I said well how will you know when he's repented and, and they said well when his behavior has changed to a significant degree to a degree that we set, then we'll know that his repentance is genuine. Ah, sound, Does that sound good, right? Not to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says that you're completely wrong. Because if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I think this emphasizes that you should be ready to forgive. You should desire to restore. You should have a heart that wants what is best, not just for you, but for your brother or your sister and for your father in heaven. Now, as we're sitting here thinking, I don't like this. I don't believe my husband or my wife or whoever. I don't believe they've really repented. I'm not going to grant them forgiveness. Jesus must, this can't be what he means. Let me say this. I think I'm safe in saying that each of us sins at least seven times a day. All right, maybe you don't. Maybe you get to six and then knock yourself out <laughs> at about nine in the morning. But seriously, I mean, I don't want to you know, air anybody's dirty laundry, but if there's, if there's somebody in here right now that thinks they went through a whole day without sinning in some way, Oh, man, you need to get saved. <laughs> and so let's take a typical day, and you're going to sin in that day. And sometimes, be honest, isn't it the same sin, the thing you're struggling with that is really difficult for you, whatever it might be, okay? Does Jesus forgive you when you ask him to? Or does he say, this is, this is jive, This isn't the seventh time. This is the seven millionth time you've asked me for forgiveness for the same sin. Who are you fooling? Not me. You go and clean up your life. You deal with this. And then I'll give you some blessings. But in the meantime, I'm through with you because I don't believe your repentance is real. Oh, no, maybe the devil wearing a Jesus mask would say that but not jesus okay so the lord he knows what he's talking about because he's talking about what he does for you and me seven million times a day you come to him actually it's worse than that we don't even come to him sometimes we sin and we think "Ah, i blew it again blew it again you know you go through the whole day you never even ask for forgiveness and he holds you forgiven because of his work on the cross All he's saying is, I want to empower you to do for others what I already do for you. It's very, very challenging. And that's why it seems impossible. And the disciples are going to speak for all of us in a minute when they say to Jesus, Hey, you're going to have to increase my faith in order to do this. And that leads us nicely into our second point. Jesus expects you to be indefensive. I can't really tell if indefensive is a word or not. I think I might have made it up, but it's a good word. By indefensive, I mean you should be tough-skinned but tender-hearted. To do so, you're going to have to look past people to Jesus and realize that you are serving the Lord. People can let you down. They might not recognize your service and sacrifice. They can take advantage of you, or worse, they can just ignore you. If you look past them to Jesus, you will avoid and avert most offenses. You will be indefensive in your attitudes, and you'll remain free to act towards others in ways that Jesus has commanded you. As I mentioned a moment ago, a request from his disciples was the connection Jesus needed to make this point. In verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Now, their request for more faith seems reasonable to me. Faith can grow, it can increase. We're always asking the Lord for more of His spiritual resources in our life. The Lord just told them to do something phenomenal. And they're, they're accepting it. And they're saying, Lord, yeah, we want to do that. Just give us the wherewithal to do it. But Jesus, I think, is a little bit surprising here. He tells them they already have all the faith they need in order to do this seemingly impossible task. So the Lord said, verse 6... If you have faith faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to start mustard seed gardening and go around and say, hey, this mulberry tree, it's kind of, okay, I'll just uproot it and put it in the San Francisco Bay. That's not the point. It's an exaggeration. He was telling them that even the smallest amount of faith, if you could put all your faith in a mustard seed, which it's comical to me because the commentators are all arguing about how small the seed really is. They've got this, is it the mustard plant or the mustard bush? or the—you know—and it's, it's And I know those kinds of things are important to seminary students. But let's say it's a big seed, okay? It's still a tiny thing. If you could put all your faith into a seed then you could accomplish phenomenal physical deeds. And what he's telling them simply is that you already have sufficient faith to accomplish phenomenal spiritual deeds. Jesus does not, and he will not ask you to do anything that he has not already equipped or empowered you to accomplish. It's usually not more faith you need, it's a willingness to obey. You may have to step out in faith, He may be stretching you in an area, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And this is where a lot of times we hit the wall as Christians because we read what... Here's the disciples. Jesus said, forgive as many times as you have to. And the disciples said, I do that if I had the ability to do it. If you've hit a spiritual wall in an area, let's say marriage, which a lot of us are touched by... Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. I would if you would help me. Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Lord, I do that, but you're going to have to help me with that. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus would come to you and say, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which you do, you could do this. You can do this. And, and it, it, it really, it, it, this is so revolutionary to me. I don't always do it. But now I know that when I don't do what the Lord tells me to do, I'm just disobeying Him. It's not that He's ever asked me to do something that I cannot do. He tells me to do something because He's empowered me to do it. I may not do it very well, but I'm doing it with His help and with His strength. To drive home His point, to tie everything together really, Jesus used a common comparison, verse 7. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Oh, you tired servant. I added that part. But will he not rather say to him, hey, make my dinner and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I don't think so. The master expects his servant to serve, not to be served. And the servant expects what? To be treated as a servant. What does that have to do with this? Plenty. Many offenses come because we are treated like servants. Remember that song, Make Me a Servant? How many remember the old Christian song, Make Me a Servant? Make me a servant, humble and meek, Lord. Let me, help me lift up those who are weak. And may the something and something be. (laughs) Anyway, you get the idea. I could sing it, but I don't want to put the worship team to shame. (laughs) Even though we are servants, we feel as though we deserve something better or something more. We didn't receive our word of encouragement. We weren't openly mentioned or recognized. We were overlooked. Possibilities are endless. Some years ago, a gentleman came, he was coming to our church, and, and uh, good guy. But he said he, uh, I'd offended him. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, it's just, I guess I do that. But uh, he came in, and, and I said, Well, what, what is it? Let's, let's deal with it. And he says, Well, he goes, You're my pastor. And and uh, you haven't done very much to encourage me as my as my pastor. I said, okay. Anything in particular? In sp- no, not really. Just overall, just in general, you're you're not encouraging. So okay. All right, I really mean to be. You know, I said if I've wounded you or offended you, I'm sorry. I, I'm you know it's my goal to be <laughs> more encouraging. You know, just I really, and I'm making fun of, it. but I'm serious. You know, of course you don't believe I'm serious. You're thinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm coming to your office tomorrow, but uh, don't bother. I'll repent right now to everybody. So we dealt with that, and it was good. And and then uh, I said, hey, can I uh, ask you a question just just out of curiosity? He goes, sure, because we were on really good terms at the time. I said, hey, just out of curiosity, I said, just as a brother in Christ, what have you done to encourage me these many years? He looked at me, and he goes, nothing. I go, okay, just wanted to clear that up. Just wanted to have some understanding of of how this all works. That, you know, I need to encourage you, but you don't have to encourage me. So that's fine. And, and you see, I shouldn't tell a story because afterwards three people said, you do encourage me, Pastor, you know. But if I don't encourage you, tell my son. And then... <laughs> but anyway, so that's the thing. I, I mean, you know... It, We need to elevate our thinking and think, oh, yeah, 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 that's right, I'm a servant, being treated like a servant. At those moments, you need to ask yourself, who am I serving? If it's a person or people, man, are you going to go through life offended? But if you're looking past them and serving the Lord, you're going to become indefensive, go about your business with His equipping and empowering. Look again at the illustration Jesus used. The only relationship you see is that between master and servant. The only serving is what you are asked to do, using only resources provided by the Master. What's there to be offended by? Nothing. Just go about your business and be faithful. Even though you're in a church with many other believers, the key relationship is you and the Lord. The only serving is what He asks of you, using resources He's provided you. He never offends you. Why allow others to offend you? If there is sin, deal with it. If not... Be indefensive. Look past it, past others to Jesus. And that's why Jesus said in verse 10, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Unprofitable means you don't deserve any special merit for what you do. You're only doing what is required of you as a servant. Let's compare it to a job situation. Let's say you have the misfortune of working at McDonald's. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I repent. And you have to forgive me. So anyway, let's say you have the good fortune of working at McDonald's. When you open your meager paycheck, do you expect more money or a bonus or just a word of encouragement because you didn't reuse the French fries that fell on the ground like the other employees do? You shouldn't expect anything. That's your job. There's no encouragement. They pay you. You do the job. That's the way it goes. Any encouragement is a bonus. The Lord isn't dissing your service. He's putting it into what I think is a really good perspective. Remember, this section began with the disciples exclaiming they could not do what he was asking without a grant of more faith. Yes, they could do what he was asking, and they should do it without any complaint, without growing discouraged. They could live indefensively towards one another, avoiding and averting offending one another. It was and is the normal expectation of a servant in God's household. It doesn't require any special grant of faith, only obedience. You understand what Jesus is saying? What he asked you to do in the earlier verses is what is expected of the least servant in God's household. It's not something that you have to mature or have tremendous faith or be a spiritual giant to do. He says this is just normal Christianity when you realize who you are and whom you serve. But you must see yourself as a servant looking past service to others. It's when we get our eyes on people the people we are asked to serve or to serve with, that we can feel offended and be offensive. Look past them to Jesus. Now here's something to consider. One day you will come in from your service and you will be served supper by your master. Earlier in Luke's gospel, in chapter 12, Jesus said this to you, "...and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately." Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them, the servants, sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Now put these two concepts together. The fact that you're to be a servant and think about being treated as a servant, but also know that the master is one day going to serve you. You are to serve others as if you were serving the Lord with no expectation of approval or merit or notice on earth. But as you serve them and look to the Lord, you know that in eternity He is going to serve you for your faithfulness. It doesn't get any better than that. If you're a Christian, it might be time for you to put certain offenses to bed. If someone has sinned against you, Go to them with the desire to restore them to fellowship with the Lord and then yourself. If you're the offender, if you've sinned against someone, go to them and ask forgiveness. First, think it through. Was sin really involved? Or are you offended because you are defensive? If that's the case, I recommend that you let it go and look past the person or the people to the Lord. Cultivate an indefensive attitude. Maybe you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. You've seen Christians with tempers and tongues. You've wondered why you need to get saved. Well, sure, we have problems. Any family has its internal problems. But in the end, we're forgiven our sins, and we can forgive others who've sinned against us. If you're not a Christian, your sins need forgiving. Only God can forgive sins, and He does it when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then you become His child. You come into this wonderful family where God is your protector, where God loves to watch over you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for these things. They're, they're too deep for us, Lord, in one sense, and yet they're simple. I pray that unlike the disciples, Lord, we would... Believe that you've already granted us everything that we need to accomplish these things. And that we would feel as though a weight were lifted off of us rather than a burden put upon us. And that we would look at our brothers and sisters with love, love covering even a multitude of sins, the Bible says. Overlooking their flaws and faults and failings, all of us have many of those, Lord. And thanking others that they overlook them in our lives. Joining together for the common purpose of sharing Christ with those around us. And of lifting him up when we get together. Oh Lord do these things. Make us a family of believers Lord that loves one another. And acts that way. And if we have squabbles Lord. May we keep them in house. Personal. One to one. Deal with them Lord. So that we can go on doing the things that you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Let's stand together. If you're uh, being baptized today,